1.75 persons per second, 105 persons per minute, 6,300 persons per hour, 152,000 persons per day, 1 million persons per week, 4.5 million persons a month, 55 million persons per year die. Contemporary English Christian author and apologist John Blanchard said, death is the irrefutable fact of life. 20th century Irish playwright George Bernard Shaw said, one out of one dies. 19th century English preacher Charles Spurgeon said, though we avoid it with all our might, death will find us. We admit, Spurgeon continues, that we shall die, but we suppose not so soon as to make it pressing. We imagine that we are not within measurable distance of the grave. Even the oldest man gives himself a little longer lease. And I love how he finishes this. He says, Brethren, in this we are not wise. As you know, my favorite preacher in the States, John Piper, He pastored a large church for 30 years. He said he averaged one funeral per month. And he said it was a great blessing, a great gift from God to to him personally to stand beside that hole in the ground once a month because it reminded him just how temporary he was. Right? It reminded him to keep that which is temporal and that which is eternal in balance. And he he said this to his congregation. It was in a sermon that I listened to. And I thought it was very powerful. I'm going to say it to you. You know why I say stuff to you, right? You know why I say stuff to you. Because I like the sound of my own voice, right? No! I say stuff to you because I love you. I tell you things from the Word of God because I, I want it to impact your life. I want it to change the way you think and the way you live. And this is what Piper said to his congregation. I think it's powerful. He said this, I know some of you would not live the way you do if you stood by that hole in the ground with me every month. I think it's true. I think it's true. As Charles Spurgeon says, Brethren, in this we are not wise. We are not wise if we aren't ready today to stand in front of our Creator. We are not wise if we are not ready. Richard Baxter was a 17th century Puritan preacher and theologian. And he said something that every good preacher knows. In fact, I used to write it at the top of every sermon. And it's why every good preacher preaches with a sense of urgency, right? All good preaching, all biblical preaching, there's a sense of urgency to it. You know, this is not just a lecture. This is, I'm not a life coach, right? When we come in here, uh, this is between God and us. This matters. This matters more than anything else. The things we talk about in here. It matters more than anything else. 
But Baxter says, I always preach as a dying man to dying men. It's a great, great quote for anybody who would preach the Gospel. I am a dying man. And I'm quite old compared to the rest of you, right? I'm ancient compared to most of you. I don't have much longer. I am a dying man. But the thing you need to know, even if you're in your 20s, you are a dying man. Moses is going to talk to us about that tonight. We are transitory. We are passing through. It is a sprint to the hole in the ground. I know that many of you, you don't ever think about it. I'm going to go back to Spurgeon's words, brethren, in this we are not wise. We need to remember and be mindful that we are dust. And we are returning to the dust. As Moses says so eloquently this evening. So, there's a sense of urgency in all good preaching. Because death is the irrefutable fact of life. Because one out of one dies. Because death is coming for all of us. Death is coming. It is coming for all of us. We are sprinting to the hole in the ground. Each one of us. Back in July of 2011, I had the great honor and privilege to be with my father as he died. It was just something that's precious, I think, for a child especially maybe for a son to be with his father when he dies. And it was a great joy. It was a great release. He had suffered a lot. And I, in the States, what happens is when someone dies, uh, you call the police and the police uh, come and, and begin the process of officially recording a, a death. And I can remember the, the policeman called, called the coroner and, and he said, this is an expected death. Uh, Dad was in... Uh, it was in-house hospice for the last few weeks of his life. So it was an ex- the, the, the term he used was expected death, but that term struck me, right? It struck me. There's no such thing as an unexpected death, right? We're all headed that way. I knew what the policeman was c- communicating. But we're all headed to the hole in the ground. No such thing as an unexpected death. As Spurgeon says, death will find us all. And it's important for me to comment on this. I know if you've been in this church very long, I'm sure your theology is pretty strong, your biblical theology on this point. But did God create us to die? Did God make us to die? What does the Bible teach us? No, God created us to live. So why is it that we die? Why do we die? Someone tell me. Why do we die? God made us to live. Oh, God put us in paradise. <laughs> what happened? We rebelled, didn't we? We rebelled against the good and beneficent and gracious and kind God. We did that. And He said, the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. The day you defy Me, the day you violate Me and My Word, you shall surely die. So we understand as Bible believers, we were not created to die. We were created to live. But we die because of our own sin. We chose death. 
as the Bible says, we've earned our wages. The wages of sin is death. We have, as we talked about the last few weeks, we have violated God. Now I'm going to say this again. For those of you who weren't here, you know, sometimes you think your sin is against simply uh, the ordinances of God. What I want to say to you as we learned when we talked to Uh, about David's great confession in Psalm 51, your sin is a violation against the person of God. Right? It's not simply against His ordinances or His law. David says, my sin is against you. You only have I sinned against. And I I want you to understand, when you choose to sin, when you make that choice, you are, it's a violation against God. It's personal. We've been talking a lot about this. Sin is personal. You are personally rejecting your Creator and His Word and you're acting autonomously. It's personal. And we will all stand before this God personally. All moral accounts will be settled. Either in Jesus Christ, we're either in Jesus Christ And those outside of Jesus Christ, those moral accounts will be settled in hell. It's just the the truth of Scripture. So, one of the things that Moses is saying to us in Psalm 90, it's the oldest psalm in the Bible, okay? It's the oldest one written by the man. Uh, As Deuteronomy 34.10 says, talk to God face to face, right? He was called the friend of God. He's the perfect man to instruct us about the stark contrast between the Creator and the creature. Between the judge and the rebel. Between holiness and sin. Between life and death. Between the eternal and the temporal. And when you read that, when you read Psalm 90, you realize this is what God is contrasting for us. Will we be wise? Will we understand and, and grasp the, the, the truth that we are dust? And, and at the very best, we get 70 to 80 years. That's nothing compared to eternity. So Moses is requiring that we think deeply about life and think deeply about Death. As I contemplated Psalm 90, my mind, believe it or not, went back to a devotional I read 30 years ago. Right? Does that ever happen to you? Well, of course it doesn't happen to you. You're not that old. But it happens to people my age. I, haven't, I read these words 30 years ago and it, my mind went to them. Right? And I'm going to read them to you. A.W. Tozer was uh, a great preacher back in the, um, the 20th century over in America. I think he preached in Chicago all of his life. And he's commenting on those great passages in Revelation where where God says, I am the Alpha, I am the Omega, I am the First, I am the Last, I am the Beginning, and I am the End. Now I'm going to read a paragraph to you, so I want you to bear with me just for a minute. Tozer writes, in relation to those texts in Revelation, Tozer writes, One day, this is you and me, one day the little man finds himself in consciousness and accepts the fact that he is. There his volitional life begins. Before that, he had nothing to say about anything. After that, he struts and he boasts, and encouraged by the sound of his own voice, he declares his independence from God. Now, isn't that what we see by and large in the world? I think it is. Tozer continues. 
Have your fun, little man. You were only chattering in the interim between the first and the last. You had no voice at the first and you will have none at the last. He concludes, it would be great wisdom for us to begin to live in the light of this wonderful and terrible truth. God is the first and God is the last. It's what Moses is going to drive you and me to as we study Psalm 90. Moses is going to demand that we look at God, we look at ourselves, we look at our sin, and recognize two preeminent things that Moses is going to drive from the text. Your life is brief, is brief, and God's wrath is fierce. So in light of those two truths, what do we need to do? Obviously, as Christians, we understand we need to come to Christ. We need a Savior. We must have a Savior. We must have a Savior. And His name is Jesus Christ. So, Moses writes this psalm, most scholars agree, during the 40-year wilderness wanderings of the Exodus Jews. You know the story, right? Uh, two million Jews standing there at Kadesh Barnea ready to go into the promised land. Why didn't they go in? Anybody remember the story? Why, didn't I, why did they not go into the promised land? Anybody remember? They just didn't believe God could do it. They were afraid of the people in the, in the, in the land. The land was flowing with milk and honey, but they were afraid. They didn't believe God was God enough to keep His promise. Now I'm just going to stop and ask you. You know, if you're a real Christian and you're obeying Christ in the world, that's going to happen to you pretty frequently. You're going to bump up against some hard thing, some promise that God has made to you, and you're going to have to believe Him by faith, right? The Jews, the Old Testament Jews, Exodus Jews, refused to believe God. They would not go into the promised land. Remember what they said? They said, let's go back to Egypt. Slavery's better. (laughs) That's what's true of any of us who... Don't go with God, right? And you remember, you may remember the words of God to the Exodus Jews as He judged them. He said, How long will you spurn Me? In other words, how long will you not believe Me and act in faith? And God said, You shall know My opposition for forty years. And the Exodus Jews, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. That's the backdrop. That's the backdrop of this psalm. Okay? So I want you to understand it. The psalm doesn't have as much power if you don't understand uh, the backstory on it. So, verses 1 and 2, Psalm 90. Lord, You have been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were born or gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting You are God. Don't you love it? You see this contrast immediately. A confession of the infinite contrast between God and between man. This word Lord here, uh, in the Hebrew, it's God's personal name. It's Yahweh. Right? Most of you know this. Anytime you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D in the text, it's Yahweh. It's what it means. 
the great I am who I am, God that Moses met in the burning bush, Exodus chapter 3. This name underscores the self-existent and eternal nature of God there in verse 2. You are ever from everlasting to everlasting. He is the unbegun God. He is the uncreated God. This sets God apart from every other being in the cosmos. There is no other being like God. God had no beginning. If there's no other reason for you to worship Him, you should worship Him for the fact that He alone is unbegun. He alone is uncreated. He is from everlasting to everlasting. That should be enough. <laughs> You're made of dust. That should be enough for you to worship this awesome God. And it's how Moses begins his prayer. You're a great God. You transcend time and eternity, Moses says. You are a great and awesome God. Look what he says. He said, mankind is your dwelling place. Meaning that apart from God, man has no being. Our being is derived from God. I know, as Tozer says, most men strut and boast and walk upon the earth like uh, they're autonomous. But lest God hold you, consciously hold you up, every nanosecond of your life, you would go out of being. The only reason I can stand here and preach to you tonight is that God is holding me up. My being is derived from God. Another reason you should worship Him. Let me give you a couple of great uh, verses here. Paul's talking about this, Acts 17, 28. In God we live and we move and we have our being. Do you understand? Your being is in God. It is derived Job says in Job 12.10, In the hand of the Lord is the life of every living thing. God is holding you. God is sustaining you. Again, your being is derived. The psalmist says in Psalm 66.9, The Lord keeps us in life. The Lord is holding you. If you get to draw one more breath, if your brain fires one more time, God has given that to you. You know, you're not a wind-up doll. You know, the deists believe that God created the cosmos and just wound it up and stepped back. That's not how it works. If we understand our Bibles, if we believe our Bibles. Every time you draw a breath, it's grace and mercy. I know most of us don't think like this. You know, you ask some people, you say, well, what are you thankful for? You can't, you know, some people can't even, they, they can't even begin to start to tell you what they're thankful for. Because by and large, most of mankind aren't, they're not thankful. It's what God says in Romans chapter 1. They're a thankless people, right? They do not honor me, nor do they give thanks. This rebellious creature who struts and boasts upon the earth, this creature I made from dust, Beloved, I worshipped a lot this week as I studied this psalm. And I guess what I want to do is to push that off on you. And I want you to feel His greatness. I want you to feel His greatness. I want it to matter that He is the everlasting God in your life. And I want it to matter to you that your being is derived from Him. I want that to matter every time you get up, every time you draw a breath. And I know we can't consciously think of it like that all the time. But I want you to be mindful of the fact that everything that comes into your life, it's by the beneficent hand of God. Hebrews 
chapter 1, verse 3, God upholds all things by the Word of His power. So, as Tozer said, mankind has declared his independence from God, but that's a whole lot like a puppet declaring his independence from the puppeteer. All it is is hubris. All it is is arrogance. All it is is vanity. Because at the end of the day, the, the essential truth of the matter is, apart from God, you don't draw one more breath. Oh, by the way, it's His air you're breathing too. You knew that, right? Oh, it's His food you're eating. <laughs> you do know you're utterly, completely, totally dependent on this God. It's important for us to know and understand that. Verse 2, it's a confession again of God's uncreated and unbegun nature. In Daniel 7, verse 9, he calls the biblical God the Ancient of Days. Isaiah 9, 6 calls Him the Eternal Father. Uh, Psalm 9, 7 says that God shall endure forever. Job 36, 26 says the number of His years cannot be discovered. God transcends time and eternity. God envelops eternity. Do you, do you, do you get some sense of it? God envelops eternity. I know this blows our our temporal finite minds. I know it's supposed to. <laughs> it's supposed to blow your mind. As John Piper says, if you're understanding the Bible correctly, it will blow your mind. Your mind is supposed to be blown. This God is amazing. He's infinitely above us. Infinitely above us. And Moses is driving us to worship. He's driving us to worship. The other contrast between God and man alluded to here in verse 2 is that God is the Creator and man is the creature. Again, I think I've touched on that. We were dust and God has turned us into a living soul. Not just a physical being, but a living soul. God is more infinitely above man than man is above a microbe. Are you strutting and boasting before God? Are you acting independently of God? Do you live your life um, out of reference to God? Are you not ordering your life uh, uh, according to the Word of God? Are you not thanking God every day for every good thing that comes into your life? Are you taking God for granted? Are you presuming on God? Are you indifferent toward God? Moses is saying, stop it! You're dust. He's awesome. Remember. It should change the way you live every day, beloved. These truths that we are learning tonight should change the way you live every day. You know, we're not only made of dust. <laughs> what, what makes it worse is we are rebels. We have sinned against God. Willfully and wantonly. Most of us in this room. Now, if, you, if you've never committed a sin, you can come talk to me after the service. But I'll, I'll try to you know, convince you that, uh, yeah, you've lost your mind. Um, we're all guilty. We're all guilty of sin before God. Verses 3-6. through six. 
you turn man back into dust and say, Return, O children of men, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by, or as a watch in the night. What is a watch in the night? Anybody know what a, how long a watch in the night is? It's only three or four hours, okay? For your information. Verse 5. You have swept them away like a flood, like, uh, pardon me, they fall asleep. In the morning, they are like grass which sprouts anew. In the morning it flourishes and sprouts anew. Toward evening it fades and it withers away. What is the underlying biblical truth we've already touched on? When the text says you turn man back into dust, why is that happening? Remember, God made dust to live, right? We made dust die, right? We did that. Because we did that, because we chose that, God in His judgment is turning man back into dust. We exchanged the truth for a lie. You know, I was talking to my, my son on the phone. He was, he was bemoaning all the things going on in America, a lot of bad stuff going on. But there's a lot of bad stuff going on all over the world, right? This is what happens when we believe the lie. Why does all this stuff happen? Because we believe the lie. We exchanged the truth for a lie. It's what mankind did. We were in paradise. But we exchanged the truth for a lie. This is the fruit. What you see in the world, the chaos you see in the world, is the fruit of exchanging the truth for a lie. And it's what we see. It's what we see every Verse 4 echoes verse 2. Time is nothing to God. The longest living man known to us is Methuselah. If you know your Bibles, 969 years of age. Moses says this is like a day to God. A thousand years is like a day to God. It's interesting that the pre-flood lifespan of man was about 750 to 800 years the post-flood average at, at 1400 B.C. we see down in verse 10, which we haven't gotten to yet, but drop down to verse 10. It says, the days of our life, they contain 70 years, or if due to strength, 80 years. So that's comparable to, to where mankind is even today. It's interesting, isn't it? The effects of sin and judgment upon mankind. God is eternal. Mankind is increasingly transitory. And it made me think, and I'm just going to parenthetically insert this for you. This is just free stuff. Sometimes I just give you free stuff because I'm like that. Right, Chinelo? Chinelo knows I'm like that. One of the scientific arguments against the theory of long ages of um, evolution is that modern genetic studies have shown that the rate of degeneration in the human genome reveals that mankind could not be millions of years in the making. We have suffered... If, if, if we were that old, we would have already suffered genetic meltdown and extinction. Now, I'm just learning these things. I've been reading these things in the last six or seven months. and It's fascinating. One evolutionary geneticist says regarding this, humanity should be extinct 100 times over. The bottom line truth is, man has not evolved, man has devolved, and man continues to devolve. Don't take my word for it. 
This is just free stuff that I read on the side. Don't take my word for it. You go do your own reading. Man has not evolved. Man has devolved. The genome of Adam and his immediate ancestors were vastly superior to our own. So, you can do your own research there. Verse 5 merely expands on verse 4 regarding the brevity of human life. It comes and goes as quickly as a flood, right? It comes and goes as quickly as grass. Again, God made us for life. We rebelled. The wages of sin uh, uh, is death. Made me think of Galatians 6, 7. God is not mocked. For whatever you sow, you will reap. You will reap, beloved, just like I will. Whatever I sow, I will reap. I will stand before Jesus Christ, my Creator, and I will look Him in the eye. Every human being will look Him in the eye. And whatever a man sows, that is what he will reap. Regarding human life, here's just a, I'm not going to give you all the passages. If you want them, email me. I'll send them to you. The Bible says man is like grass. Man is like a breeze. Man is like a shadow. Man is like a vapor. Man is like a phantom. Man is like a breath. Man is like a flower that withers. Do you understand what God is saying to you? You better pay attention. You better pay attention. You're not here for very long. You're not going to be here for very long. So what are you going to do with that vapor-like existence? What are you going to do with it, beloved? What are you going to do with it? How are you going to invest it? You say, well, Jim, I, I want to invest it to make lots of money and, and have health, wealth, and prosperity. Well, I'm going to say, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you'll stand before God and give an account. It's an insult to God to live for such small things. It's an insult to God, a personal insult. We've been talking a lot about it all year. Christianity is always personal. It's always personal. It's not, it's not between you and the church and you and the pastor and you and the deacon and you and the elder. It's between you and God, beloved. It's between you and God. There's urgency here for all of us. There is urgency here. This, this thing he talks about here, this falling asleep or having fall asleep, um, it's clearly, clearly an allusion to death. But as one theologian has noted, it also brings to mind this insane indifference. You know, you just meet people. Don't you meet a lot of people and they're just kind of sleepwalking through life? They're not thinking deeply about anything. They haven't ever thought about their origin or their condition or their ultimate uh, destination. You know, people who just don't think about anything. They're just living for the moment. You know, it's just in that superficial social media kind of deal. That's where I live all the time. I don't ever think about anything that matters. Not really. And this is what I think is being referenced here. They're sleepwalking through life. And Moses is saying, that's very dangerous for you to sleepwalk through life. And not think deeply about who God is, who you are, and the sin that you have committed against Him. So in verses 3-6, through six, God is graciously reminding us how transitory we are. We are indeed a phantom, a shadow, and a breeze. And it is insane. It is insane for you and me not to be mindful and to order our lives accordingly. Right? What does it mean to order your life accordingly? 
It means immediately bringing your life under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's what it means. That's what it means. And I'm just going to ask you, I'll stop and ask you, have you done that? I know everybody in here probably, probably professes to be a Christian. That's probably what it is. Everybody professes to be a Christian. But listen, you're not a Christian if you haven't brought your life under the Lordship of Jesus. You can't have Jesus as Savior and not have Him as Lord. That's, it doesn't work that way. It's impossible. So I'm going to ask you, as Moses is, is, is even pointing at Messiah, we look back at Messiah, I'm asking you, have you brought your life under the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Is He your Lord? Are you His disciple? Beloved, there's no more important question. There's no more loving question I could ask you tonight. I ask you that in love. Do you love Christ supremely and preeminently above any and all? Above any and all. Verses 7 through 11. For we have been consumed by your anger. And I want you to hear this 7 through 11. A lot of people don't like to talk about God's wrath anymore. Well, I'm not sure what the problem is. It's in the Bible. Are we going to edit God? Well, we don't edit God here, okay? We don't edit God. There's a lot to, the, the, the Bible's full of, of truth about God's judgment and His wrath and His anger and His fury. And we're going to see just a little bit of it here. Verse 7 again. For we have been consumed by your anger and by your wrath we have been dismayed. You know, this is why a lot of people don't preach verse by verse through the Bible anymore. You know why? <laughs> a lot of preachers don't preach verse by verse. Because you hit these verses and they're, they're hard. They're hard, right? But that's why we preach verse by verse. It keeps me honest. So I'm not just tickling your ears all the time. I'm telling you the truth as best I can. So, verse 8, You have placed our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days have been... Um, have declined in your fury. We have finished our years like a sigh. As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years, or if due to strength, 80 years. Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow, for soon it is gone and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger and your fury according to the fear that is due you? Anger, fury, fear. I know much of the modern church ignores this aspect to God. But any church that ignores this aspect of God is a false church. It's a false church. Any true church will present all of the truth to those who attend it. So we're talking about the insane indifference not to consider that, I am un that my sin incurs the wrath of God, right? Again, Moses is driving home the fact that it's insane not to consider that you'll stand before God soon, that you're a vapor upon the earth, and it's insane not to understand that your sin has, is a great offense to God. These are two points that I think Moses is driving home to us. And beloved, we will stand before Jesus very, very soon, some of us sooner than we think or hope, or plan. And here's the question I asked the people at my father's funeral. Will you meet Him as your Savior or will you meet Him as your judge? Because there's no other place to be. You will either meet Him as Savior or you will meet Him as your judge. 
Verse 7, how, how were the Exodus Jews consumed and dismayed by God's anger and wrath? Again, it goes back to that one irrefutable fact of life. They were dying in the wilderness. They were dying in the wilderness. This is the wrath of God against sin. Right? We were made to live, but the wages of sin is death. So, death is consuming the sinful generation that refused to go into Kadesh Barnea. Look at verse 8. God sees it all, doesn't He? He sees it all. He sees everything. He sees everything, every sin, every thought. He has seen it. He knows it. It's why He's the perfect judge. He has all the evidence. There'll be no plea against the indictment of God in the courtroom of God. There'll be no plea. It's an ironclad case. You're guilty. And so am I. We are guilty. Ecclesiastes 12.14, Solomon says, God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden. And I want to say it again. I don't want you to ever forget your sin is a violation against the person of God. And all moral counts will be settled. I'll say this again too. Either in Jesus, your sin is in Christ and you are clean and you'll be welcomed in, into, into heaven. Or you are outside of Christ. And infinite wrath will land on you in, in hell forever. You say, Jim, this is very strong. I, I know, it's the Bible. We preach the Bible here. At the end of the day, listen, when I write my sermon, I'm not worried whether you like it or not. I'm really not thinking about whether you'll like it or not. At the end of the day, all I care about, does God like it? Am I being faithful to the Word? Am I being faithful to what God says? I have to give an account for you when I stand before Him. Jim, why didn't you tell them the truth? Why did you tickle their ears? Listen, beloved, I love you too much. To... I love God too much, and I love you too much to tickle your ears. When we come to a text and it talks about the wrath and the fury and the anger of God, well, we are going to talk about it. It's what any conscientious preacher would do. Verse 9, the wilderness wandering of the Exodus Jews. It's a fitting, man, uh, fitting metaphor for a, a life lived without Jesus. You see it? It's, it's like a life lived without Jesus. It's meaningless. It's pointless. They're just waiting to die. That's really what's going on in anyone's life who is outside of Christ. You're just waiting to die. <laughs> It, it's, 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 it's pointless in an ultimate sense. It's what's going on with the, the wilderness Jews. Verse 10, again echoing the transitory nature of man's life upon the earth. And Solomon said it perfectly, didn't he? Elijah, what did Solomon say? Do you remember? We talked about it in Ecclesiastes. What is life? I just remember you saying it in a Bible study. You used to say it all the time. It's vanity apart from God. Remember Solomon, uh, he had everything. Wealth, power, success, acclaim, accomplishment, and a thousand women. He had everything a man could want. And he says, it's vanity. It's striving after the wind. Without God, it's striving after the wind. 
72 virgins? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Verse 11, regarding God's anger, fury, and wrath, Spurgeon says it's impossible to exaggerate it. And I think that's exactly right. It's impossible to exaggerate God's wrath. How could you possibly exaggerate that which is infinite? Right? Hyperbole is impossible. You know, some, some false teachers say, well, hell couldn't possibly be as bad as Jesus makes it out to be in the Gospels. Wrong! It's worse! Those are metaphors. Those are analogies in the Gospels. It's far worse. You cannot exaggerate infinite wrath. You simply can't do it. I'm just gonna, I just want to read this to you. This great quote from Jonathan Edwards uh, who wrote, I guess, or gave or preached one of the most famous sermons in the history of the church, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Let me just read this to you. He says, If it had only been said the wrath of God, the words would have implied that which is infinitely dreadful, but it is the fierce wrath of God who, who can utter and conceive what such expressions carry in them. Oh, what dreadful, inexpressible, inconceivable depth of misery shall the sinner be subject to! Who in the, who in the end comes to know the power of God's anger? Twenty times in the Bible, the word fierce is in front of God's wrath. Listen, beloved. I preach the truth to you because it's my obligation to God and really it's my obligation to you. Some of you some of you are not taking it seriously that you are a vapor and a breeze and a phantom and grass upon the earth. And some of you are not taking it seriously that soon you'll stand before God and look in the eye of Jesus Christ. And you will again meet Him as your Savior or you will meet Him as your judge. I'm exhorting you to take it serious. For those of you in here who are not. Verse 12, verse 12 maybe is the core of the, of the psalm. So teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Now let me just say this to you. Listen, this is the summation of the psalm. In light of the brevity of life, that we are vapors upon the, on the earth, in light of our sin that God knows, He knows it all, in light of God's wrath, which is fierce and infinite and beyond hyperbole or exaggeration, in light of these biblically revealed truths, teach us to live wisely, Moses says. He says, teach us to number our days, to count our days precious, to invest our days, to be good stewards of our days, right? To be good stewards of our days. To live them wisely. I love Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of verse 12 here. He says, he says oh, teach us to live well. Teach us to live wisely and well. Beloved, I want you to take this, this message out of this room tonight. I want you, yeah, to live well. What does it mean? I'm mindful that I'm transitory. I'm mindful that, that, that my sin will incur the infinite wrath of God. I must have a Savior. I must have Jesus. I can't play religion. I must have Jesus. I must have Jesus. Verses 13 to 17 will be finished. Do return, O Lord. How long will it be? And be sorry for your servants. Oh, satisfy us 
in the morning with Your loving kindness that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days You have afflicted us and the years we have seen evil. Let Your work appear to Your servants and Your majesty to Your children. And let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and do confirm for us the work of our hands. Yes, confirm the work of our hands. Obviously, these verses relate to the believers who are caught up in the wilderness wanderings of the Exodus Jews. These believers who are principally the children of the generation that refuse to go into the promised land, they are walking through the consequences of the sin of the broader congregation. Moses is praying for all the true servants. Verse 13, of God in the multitude. I think there's a powerful parallel here for all true Christians, right? We're kind of walking through a judged world. We're kind of walking through a wilderness too, right? Even though there's, there are manifold blessings and mercies and grace uh, in this fallen world, we too are walking through a wilderness as compared to what awaits us. So we have this parallel. The New Testament Christian has this parallel with the believer who was among those who wandered in the wilderness. We too feel the vanity and futility of the temporal life. We see, experience, and suffer pain and tribulation and death. But here's what we know. We will go into the promised land because Jesus is our Savior. We have full assurance that we will go into the promised land. Moses prays, verse 13, for God's closeness to and mercy upon His true servants. He prays, verses 14 and 15, for God's servants to know the joy, love, and kindness and gladness of God even among the difficulties of life in the wilderness. And I love verse 16. I love it. Let us see Your works and majesty even in the wilderness. Don't we see it, beloved? Even in this fallen world, don't we see the, the greatness of God and His goodness and His kindness and His uh, ben, uh, beneficence to us? Don't we see it? Don't we see it in the world? His drawing of us to Himself, His work of regeneration, His gift of faith, His gift of the Spirit, His granting of repentance. Don't we see these marvelous and miraculous works in our own lives that God is doing? I love verse 16. Verse 17 as well. The literal translation here is, let the pleasantness of Jehovah be upon us. Isn't that beautiful? Some translations render it, let the beauty of the Lord be upon us. Moses prays, Lord, let Your beauty, glory, joy, and favor be upon us in all that we do. Let our lives be meaningful and valuable and significant and pleasing to You. Let us be good stewards of all that You have given and entrusted to us. And all of that matters because Moses has reminded us in Psalm 90 that God is eternal, that we are transient, that God knows every secret sin, and that God's wrath is fierce. Therefore, verse 12, let us number our days and live wisely before this awesome God. In light of these biblical truths, I exhort you to earnestly endeavor to incarnate verse 12. And I'll just borrow from Eugene Peterson again. Oh God, teach us to live well. 
Every day you get, beloved, every time your eyes open, every time you roll out of bed, it is a gift from God. How many of you think about it like that? Are you investing your life in the glory and lordship of Jesus Christ? Or have you been distracted with things that really don't matter? Are you investing that, that breath, that breath that God graciously gives? Are you investing it in the glory of God? Are you investing it in the kingdom of God? Is that, how you, is that how you handle your marriage? Is that how you handle your work? Is that how you handle the studies and, and your social interactions at the university? Um, is that how you, you handle your, uh, when you're surfing the internet? Are you, are, you max, are you glorifying Christ as you surf the internet? Beloved, these things matter. Teach us to live well. Teach us to live wisely and well. Beloved, death is coming for you. It's coming for every one of you. Every single one of us. Death is coming. Moses says, remember every day that death is coming. Remember. Because you know what happens when you remember that death is coming? You will really live. You will live what matters. You won't get so distracted in things that don't matter. You won't get in a knot about things that ultimately don't matter at all. I know we deal with difficult human issues. I get that. But beloved, when you understand you're transitory and you understand every breath you draw is a gift from God, it will make you a humble and thankful person. And it will drive you to God to live under His Lordship. So, beloved, number your days and live wisely. Number your days and live wisely. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, thank You for this great Word. We thank You for Your servant Moses who You used to transmit these truths to us. Lord, we are in awe of the God who is from everlasting to everlasting. We thank You that You have reminded us of our brevity upon this planet. We thank You that You have reminded us of Your righteous wrath that is kindled against all who would sin against You. And we thank You for the broader truth we discover in Scripture that this is the day of grace and mercy. This is a day that You have offered a Savior for all who would repent and believe. Your arms are open to all who would come. No man will have an excuse on the last day. Your arms are open. The truth has been proclaimed. There is escape from infinite wrath. Lord God, forgive us if we have been superficial in the way we live, in our thoughts and in our deeds. 
Forgive us if we've not been thankful. Forgive us if we haven't lived in the light of the fact that we have violated You in our sin. Oh Lord, help us to number our days. Help us to invest our days. Help us to be Your good stewards. For the glory of Your name. Lord, we thank You for this weighty truth. We thank You that You love us enough to speak speak truth to us. Help us to hear it and help us to apply it. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand together and I'll dismiss us with a benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance on you and give you peace. Beloved, this is a great word. This is a great word that God has given us tonight. Some of you wouldn't live like you live if you were thinking this way. I lovingly say that to you. I lovingly say that to you. Don't waste one more day playing religion with God and being a nominal Christian. Don't waste one more day. You know, this is, the, this is the metaphor Karen and I always use. We don't even have to talk. It's just, it's just opening your hands. Will you open your hands to God? Will you let Him have your life? Let me tell you one thing and I'll shut up. I promise. When you let Him have it all, you will experience joy and gladness that you have not thought possible. You have not thought possible. I love you. I know the sermon was a little strong, but that's what's in the text. I love you. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Go in peace. Hope to see you next week.